0: Love talk radio hi everyone <clears throat> welcome to the born to talk radio show i'm your host marcia Waiteka. conversations plus connections equals community those are my three c's the heart of my show is what's your story it's my belief we all have stories some are similar others are uniquely different Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody. Wherever you are listening, I am so delighted that you're going to be listening to a really inspiring show today. My guest is Liz Lee. She's the Chief Programs Officer for Safe Place for Youth. Welcome to the show, Liz.
1: Hi, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. And you know, uh, several years ago, um, your boss was on my show talking about Safe Place for Youth. And I just think what you guys are doing is remarkable. Before, before we get into what that is, which is known as SPY, S-P-Y, I thought you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Um, well, thank you again for having me on the show. Um, I'm glad that you've gotten to meet Erica, our CEO. Um, so, as I said, my name is Liz. Um, I'm originally from Dallas, um, but I moved up a ton growing up, I think, about every year until high school. I Ooh. lived in Boston and Charleston and West Virginia and got to see the, the country in different ways. Um, I'm, I'm married. I have two dogs and a cat. They get along pretty well. Um, I've been in LA for about 17 years. Um, okay. And yeah, I, you know, generally I love reading. I love doing puzzles. I got my undergrad at University of North Texas, um, and graduated with my master's in social welfare from UCLA. Um, I've been working in the field for about four years as a case manager and residential care frontline staff. Prior to that, um, so I've gotten nice. to be in the field for 18 years and worked with unhoused folks for 14, and been at take Place for, for two.
0: Well, I think that's terrific, and I I would like to let people know that you have an outstanding website, and it's simply safeplaceforyouth.org, so you'll know you can go there and just see all of the things that they're doing, what the problems are, what their solutions are, and how possibly you could get involved. So I I, I highly recommend that you visit their website. So let's talk about what you do. So safe. Place for Youth. We know it is S. Period P. Period Y. Okay. Um, Tell us what type of services that you guys uh, provide.
1: Yeah, so I'm super glad you mentioned the website because we we do so much and there's so many different ways to get involved. Um, So I'm glad that people have a reference point. Um, Good. You know, we really our focus is to provide trauma-informed services for unhoused youth. And so when I say unhoused youth, I'm typically talking about folks who are 18 to 24, but we serve anybody as young as 12 up to 26. Um, and last year we actually provided 1700 unhoused and housing insecure folks services. um, excuse me, which for perspective, there are about 4,000 unhoused youth, um, in the city of Los Angeles right now. So we we are serving a large chunk of those folks. Um, we have an access center where people can just drop in and get connected with services, kind of feel us out a mm-hmm. little bit. We have healing arts at all of our sites. Um, so we provide paint, and colors, and, you know, whatever you need to be creative um, at our mm-hmm. access center. We also provide instruments so people can just like play and hang out and be together um, just in a safe area. Um, we provide mm-hmm. meals there, breakfast and lunch Monday through Friday, uh, we do mental health counseling, individual and group, um, all kinds of case management. So we do some like really short-term work. You know, if there's just one thing you need and that's gonna get you into housing, you can do that. If you need to work with somebody for, you know, a few years even, we provide those services. We have um, emergency housing, transitional housing. So we can provide wow. services anywhere from 30 days to three years. Um, and some of that is specialized for pregnant and parenting youth. Um, we also have a community garden where we love to have you know people yes. come by and volunteer. I think you, you're mm-hmm. connected to the garden at some point. I
0: have. I've been to your garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You <laughs> know what I – Go ahead. Oh, no, you finished what your thought was, because I want to ask you a question. Go right ahead. After the community gardens, what did you want to say next? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I just, uh, we provide internships there. So, you know, we have um, eight youth a year really take care of our garden, and that is a paid mm. internship so they can build soft skills and, you know, and just really the hard skills of learning to garden, what our ecology is in California, and how that relates to food, food
0: justice and food apparel. Um,
1: but you were going to ask any questions
0: well i was because i'm i was confused and so if i was confused i'm going to presume that others may be confused about this too because yeah. when you say that you're assisting the unhoused youth in my mind that would be somebody under the age of 18 and i'm thinking well why why are they unhoused where are their families but now mm-hmm. i understand this a little bit differently that that you are also in my mind, you know. I understand it's a safe place for youth, and so I don't want to say, well, then you need to change your name. I'm just saying that now I just have a better understanding that these are young people, and now that I remember thinking about when we had uh, Erica on the show before, maybe they're living in cars, maybe they're living in tents, mm-hmm. maybe they're living. They're they're just they don't have any place to live, and while the weather in Venice, California, might be more beautiful. Than you know New York or some place where it's cold or the mountains or some place where it's miserably cold you know there's th- th- we have a little more sunshine although not lately uh, <laughs> the weather temperatures have are a little bit more conducive but so but you also mentioned that that you do have sometimes young people as well so I just wanted to start off by recognizing that because this really is somewhat of a crisis, and, and I think what you are doing um, is making that big difference. So as the chief programs, um, program officer, what, what, is your, what is your responsibility? yeah so i have
1: i have oversight of all of our member facing programs so anybody um, who is working directly with our clients um, and we usually say members because we're really trying to build a community um, i oversee all of those programs so our housing programs clinical access and engagement peace management um, and then i do that in collaboration with our amazing senior directors jesse brown and noel stanfield um, really lead the charge on those programs um, and so a lot of my role is supporting them, supporting our team, um, making sure mm-hmm. that we are, you know, up to date on evidence-based practices, um, that we know what's happening kind of in the world of youth services, um, and are really,
0: you know,
1: leading the charge in in solutions for that.
0: I think that's terrific. And there's not a lot of organizations like this. And and I think that what what you are doing really is, um, outstanding not only i see I see it as a two way not only is it outstanding opportunities to help these unhoused youth, but it 's also the people like yourself that are working to empower these young people to to get on the other side of their problems and I mean you know that that's that 's just fabulous I, I really do mean that it 's fabulous and i 'm just curious. You mentioned a little bit about yourself um, in the beginning, but what was your career path that led you to working with SPY?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's a, a strangely long story, so feel free to speed
0: me up. or Absolutely. Few, um... No, I want to hear it. I love stories. <laughs> well,
1: I think, you know, kind of like a lot of social workers, I think I really came into this work trying to heal, you know, my own history and, you know, the, the areas of trauma, that I, I needed to address. And so I think that's truthfully what brought me to the work, although I wouldn't have said that at the time. I would have said I wanted to help people, which is also true. Um, but I think, you know, <clears throat> um, with that, my first, first job was at a youth shelter in Dallas. Um, and I, you know, kind of had to wiggle in in a weird way, so I started working there um, on an odd schedule. It was 40 hours and three days. Um Whoa. And I would just do... It was so much. Um, And then I would pick up shifts, I ended up working, you know, maybe 70 hours a week. So I think my entry-level job was probably the hardest job that I had because it was Mm -hmm. so much about crisis intervention, kind of the day-to-day difficult stuff. Um, And, you know, first jobs are really hard. So I was learning, like, the hard skills of having a a career, um, learning how to de-escalate members, and then just working a lot. But that was my foot in the door for for the field. Um, And then, you know, I came to LA, I worked in a dual diagnosis, substance abuse and mental health facility. Um, So I got into case management there. So really supporting people on the day to day. Um, And eventually I kind of saw that I wanted to do more. I wanted to have a larger impact on the field. And to do that, at least in mental health where I was at the time, I felt like I really needed a master's degree. Um, And I, Honestly, I just loved the social workers that I got a chance to work with and wanted to be like them, so I pursued social work. I um, went to UCLA, and I remember they, they asked me at UCLA if there was one population I did not want to work with, um, and what yeah. I said on that little questionnaire was I didn't want to work with gender-based harm or sexual assault survivors. Um, I had done some peer support work in college, and I, I felt like it was you know too intense for me, but a big mm-hmm. part of social work is confronting you with the things that are challenging. So they placed me at an internship at Peace Over Violence, um, which works with survivors of sexual assault and stalking, domestic violence. Oh my gosh. Of course. (laughs)
0: Um, But I ended up loving it. And it was,
1: I think what I learned was that there was so much about, you know, self-protection and, you know, just making sure that you're doing the work in a way that's sustainable for you that makes the difference in who you're serving. Um, so I, was, I did an internship there, then I did an internship in Skid Row, um, and I stayed on <clears throat> after my internship in Skid Row to oversee two transitional living programs, um, and then eventually moved on to, you know, move towards licensure, because social work makes you do about 3,000 hours of supervised work after you graduated to get licensed, uh-huh. um, and that's that. just hard to do in Skid Row. It's so much time. <laughs> um So I, you know, went back to housing um, and, you know, from there did some mental health work, um, Mm -hmm. worked at, um, sorry, worked at a rape crisis center at a university for a few years, um, so did lots of advocacy and training and therapy there, um, and then eventually started working at Path with veterans and downtown women's center as their director of housing and eventually their deputy innovations officer, which is where I met Erica, our CEO. Um, who I followed over to spy when she when she became a uh, leader here.
0: You know, you must have the most giving heart because you've oh. seen so much. And you you sort of alluded to the fact that perhaps you had some challenges as a youth, and perhaps that was instrumental in t- taking you on the journey where you find yourself today. And I just I, I I can I've worked with an organization um, that used to be here in Los Angeles. They've now moved to um, Oregon, called Share Hope USA, and they had this encampment, frankly, in a community that I actually grew up in. That all the houses had been bought by the airport, LAX, and this area was filled with people that either had tents. They might have had an undrivable motor home. They, I would say, at least 50% had dogs. And, and they tried to get along together as a group. And we came in and supported them, everything from, like you do, hot food to dog groomers and everything in between. Yeah. We even had um, the Department of Water and Power come in and go to the um, um, hydrants, and actually connect a hydrant, a water hydrant, to a drinking fountain. So I understand what this kind of work is like. And you can't drive anywhere. It doesn't doesn't matter where you live, whether you live in in a a sunny California or you don't. We see homeless all the time, whether they're they're adults or they're youth. It's a sad situation, and nobody wants to see that. You know nobody wants mm-hmm. to see a young person that's that's scared and maybe doesn't know where their next meal's coming from and doesn't know how to cope and move forward mm-hmm. and so what you guys do in spy and I know I think it started initially in two thousand and eleven and you guys moved over to Venice in two thousand and fourteen and uh it so you've been you guys have been doing this for a while. I would be curious to know, and I'm sure others would be interested in knowing this as well. What is a typical day like for um, for the kids at Safe Place for Youth?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and it and it's super variable because
0: our okay. our
1: access center, which is kind of like our our hub for services, um, everything but housing, works out of our. access center and so a day there might look really different from a day in our housing sites Um, but we kind of kick off the day for staff at least by doing a pre-brief where we talk about you know what are the events today you know what's going to come up Uh, where might people need more support um, than we usually do Mm -hmm. Um, any issues that we anticipate and that way we can really prepare um, for what's coming through that day Um, from there, you know, depending on the day we have, um, you know, as always, we'll serve those two hot meals. Um, and then you might go hang out in our healing arts area and do some painting, might grab an instrument, hang out uh, with your friends and sing some songs. Uh, we also have a digital art space so people can come record their music, record a podcast just like this, um. And so a lot of it is kind of choose your own adventure. We offer a lot of different kinds of classes. We did uh, like a voting class. Um, you know, we've done drum circles and what we really try to do is get feedback from the members that we serve and from spy squad, which is our, our member advisory board made up of folks who, um, Mm -hmm. receive services as Spy. we try to cater to whatever they're telling us they need. Um, so. You know you can come through see your case manager talk about housing maybe go view a unit you can you know talk to a therapist so it really depends on what people want specifically but we try to keep events going every day we have a venice family clinic comes by our access center and our housing sites so you can get medical care as well um, so it really depends on what you need and then our um Our housing sites, you know, each of them functions a little bit differently, but similarly, you know, there's case management available for folks every day. Um, You can receive mental health services, education and employment services we offer at all of our housing sites. Um, We have a a lettuce grow tower at every site, so you could, you know, help with the gardening, kind of learn that skill, see if the internship is something that you're interested in. Um, And then we have housing meetings, you know, once a week, just to update the community on what we're doing. a lot of what the day looks like is up to the youth that we serve, um, and what we try to do is make sure that what they need is available.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's, it's very interesting. Um, just out of curiosity, so you mentioned you have hot meals twice a day. Does some? Do you have? Do you work with a, a business that, su- that supplies you with those hot meals, or do you actually have a kitchen where you are making those hot meals?
1: So we want to volunteer to provide, um, you, as a volunteer, you can serve food, you can bring food. Um, so a lot of our stuff is from restaurants. Um, we have a lot of partnerships with local restaurants. Um, Juice the nice. Next Door always gives us their leftover bread, which is a lovely advantage. Um, and you know, just all kinds of different businesses mm-hmm. and foundations are really engaged in supporting our community. So we're super lucky. Um, but to answer your question, uh, we get it brought in and then and serve it to folks.
0: I see. And so, what do, what do they get? Basic? Do they get breakfast and dinner, lunch and dinner? Which which two meals do they get?
1: We do breakfast and lunch just because of our timing, um, and it can vary okay. widely. So sometimes we have, you know, like sandwiches, or we can, you know. Or sometimes it's a really big meal. From um, I'm trying to think. Blue Jam Cafe came in and did a really great meal over the holidays. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it kind of depends on the day.
0: How do you how do how do you determine how many meals to have prepared? Do, do you do you have a sense of of how many people come in to to have lunch or breakfast? You
1: no, know, it can I, be how, a challenge I, because we have like yeah. Really heavy days and really light days. Um, so okay. what we usually do is we anticipate about, you know, about 50 people coming in, and that way we're prepared. Okay. And we just do larger portions if we see that we're, you know, we're not going to have 50 folks.
0: Sure. And, and let's just talk about those 50 just because I'm, I sort of am a detail. So are, <laughs> are those 50 people typically that 18- to 24-year-old group? Or do you actually have? Okay, so that's that's who's getting those services. What what kind of services does the twelve to fifteen year old get?
1: So we have very few folks come through at twelve to fifteen. Um, you know, we okay. do offer meals. We offer case management, and often what we're looking at is getting them, to you know, connected to further support. So you know, that means sure. that we're looking at contacting. Department of Children and Family Services, seeing if right. there's a you know a caregiver that we can reach out to, and it's really about exploring what's what's safest and available to those youth.
0: Right. Well, you know, with COVID sort of taking over for a couple of years here, um, you mentioned um, Mar Vista Family Center. Is that who you mentioned, MarVista?
1: Uh, Venice Family Clinic was one that we mentioned. Venice
0: Venice, Venice Family Clinic. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. were were they able to provide, um, you know, vaccinations for any of the the homeless to maybe prevent uh, getting I COVID? It,
1: I believe that they were, but we primarily partnered with Department of Health Services, and they still have oh, come see. on site to provide oh, nice. vaccinations that we need, and they're they're really amazing. So. They were there for the boosters, um, and our staff can get them through the Department of Health Services
0: as well. So we're all in there together. Excellent. You know, this, these, these random thoughts are coming into my mind. So um, excuse me if I'm asking questions like what. Um, it no, can't be uncommon, I would think. I'm talking about this 18- to 26-year-old females that perhaps get pregnant. Do they have any kind of help if, if they are pregnant?
1: Yeah, so we actually have a specific pregnant and parenting program. It's run by oh, um, one of our social workers who is a previous in caring, um, and she provides case management and therapy and referrals. Um, and then we also, two of our transitional housing sites are specifically for youth and, and their families. Um, so I see. We provide spaces for people who are
0: pregnant and parenting there,
1: and they can stay there typically okay. for two years but up to three.
0: Wow. And is it rent-free for them? Do they live there for free?
1: It is, and we um, we work with folks wow. to make sure that they're, like, on their feet with, um, with savings, that they have a steady income, um, that they're okay. getting the services that they need and really stable. Excellent.
0: Before Excellent. So, what do you find? I, I, the list must be as long as your arm. What do you find most challenging about this work? You know, I think I think
1: there's a lot that's challenging about the work. But truthfully, I think you know, just seeing that kind of suffering on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. is really challenging. I think particularly for our staff that are, you know, in the access center and they have to see people that they really, really care for, you know, leave at the end of the day and know that they're going to Mm attend for whatever reason. So I think just, you know, experiencing that kind of human suffering and the people that you really care about Mm -hmm. is a challenge. Um, You know, it's, it's really hard to see such, you know, vibrant young people that are so committed to getting housed, so committed to finding employment. Um, have to go out on the streets because there just isn't availability of a bed. You know, right now we're the only shelter for youth on the West side. And what we know is that a lot of our youth just are too scared to go into adult services. It's very intimidating. They feel safe, uh-huh. you know, with their friends on the street. And so if there isn't specific services for youth, um, they, again, just feel safer with one another. And so that can be really hard to see, um, to have somebody say, I'd, I'd rather you know sleep on the street tonight than go to adult services if we don't have that availability. And I think that's what you know, really weighs on our staff as well. So our goal is to get as much youth housing available for emergency purposes, for ongoing purposes as possible.
0: If a parent is living in the Bay Area, and they haven't seen their adult kid in some time, mm-hmm. and they were and they're trying to find them. And somehow they hear about your organization, and they called. Would you be allowed to disclose if Susie or Bobby is at your location?
1: So if we get permission from Susie or Bobby, we can. Um, and if okay. not, we can't. But we can always take information. Um, and so, you know, if somebody is looking for a family member that they think might come through our doors, you know, we welcome Mm -hmm. them to reach out. Um, and then we can look that up and try to reach that member and say, Hey, you know, your, your dad is reaching out or your cousin, do you, are you okay with us sharing information or here's their contact information? And the only reason it's, you know, that way, is you know, HIPAA protections, of course, but also, you know, not. Not everybody who's calling to look for somebody has good intentions, and so we want to be Exactly. Those. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so yeah. No, you're you're right. Your yeah. pro- your your goal is to protect your members, and I used and I know that's the word that you've used um, as we've been Thank talking, you. and I and I understand yeah. that. So, we have a housing crisis. What do you think yeah. we What is it, based on what you know? What do you think we need to do to resolve? this housing crisis that we have?
1: I think our simplest answer is more affordable housing
0: um, and
1: truly affordable housing because oftentimes even when we're talking about something that's affordable, if we are, you know, talking to someone who's working part-time or making minimum wage affordable is is a very different thing. Um, So we, you know, we have a a really huge number of folks in L.A. I think it's about 600,000 people that spend more than 90% of their income on housing and so, mm-hmm. you know, that just puts so many people in such a precarious situation. And what we really know about homelessness is that it, it's the, the deep separation between how much people are making and how much housing costs that really skyrockets homelessness. So when you really dive yes. in, it's that, it's that core. So if we had more affordable housing, um, that would really be the biggest thing to resolve the housing the housing crisis, and when I think specifically with youth, it's about half of people who are chronically homeless, who so have been homeless multiple times, or have been homeless for you know over a year, were also in house when they were 18 to 24. So I think really looking at youth as a way to stop that pipeline into chronic homelessness is really important. So you know mm-hmm. would love to see us invest in youth services that are specific. Um, you know we partner with Department of Children and Family Services, Department of Mental Health. Um, to really address some of the, the trauma and the really unique issues that come up for youth. And so I think if we looked at it from a prevention lens to really focus on preventing youth from experiencing ongoing helplessness and if we just, you know, magically built a whole lot of affordable housing,
0: that would be the ticket. It sure would. So do you, do you find um, that some of the youth that you've come to know about have some unique strengths as unhoused youths? Yeah, I
1: absolutely do, and I think, you know, I come from the land of adult homelessness outside of my first job, and I've been really excited to meet the unhoused youth that we serve um, because they're Mm -hmm. so creative. I think there's so much resilience and so much just power in each of their stories. You know, as as you get to know each youth that comes through, they've been through things that, you know, I can't imagine – I can't imagine going through, I can't imagine then reaching out to services, finding support after some of the things that they've been through. And so Mm -hmm. there's just, I think, tremendous beauty in their resilience and also in their creativity. Like our our youth are out there making music, they're, you know, doing incredible art, writing poetry, um, and doing Mm -hmm. all of these extremely creative things that um, when you dive into, I mean, they're just... Incredible! It's incredible work, and the fact that they're doing that unhoused, I think, is really special, and speaks to just some inherent strength, and that I I wish we could all see and celebrate.
0: You know what? What I also recognize is that they they share things in common, and so I suspect that there's not a lot of judgment, because. Mm -hmm. You're going gonna to point your finger at this person? What, are you going to turn around and point the finger at yourself? You
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. know?
0: So I would imagine that there's not a lot of judgment, I would think. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not in the field. But I'm certain there's not a lot of judgment on the part of staff. You're not there mm-hmm. to judge these young people for whatever reasons that brought them to you. The point is, now what? What do yeah. we do? What's the process? Exactly. Have, have you finished high school? Do, you, mm-hmm. do you, you, you love to paint? Have you ever thought about painting and maybe doing that in school? Have you ever thought mm-hmm. about a career? Um, you know, all of those things that you can do as staff can really change a person's life forever. Do any of these young mm-hmm. people ever come back and become volunteers with you?
1: They do, and some of our young people even come back and, and work for SPI um, after there's been a little bit of a separation, if they're not receiving services with us, um, you know, people can come back and work. We, we have several SPI employees that are former members, and I think that, that's the really cool thing, is to see people come back and serve the community um, that they used to be a part of and, and still are part of, but, you know, are housed mm-hmm. now and can really be models for, for what's possible,
0: Absolutely. So what's what's a good starting point for people that are listening right now that want to support their local unhoused community?
1: I think the the biggest thing is to find um, your local service providers. So even if you just go to, like, 211.org and search for homeless services, you'll find some stuff that's close to you and, you know, really look Mm. into what – What aligns with your values you know you can go through the website and see what's interesting to you most of our you know homeless services are always looking for volunteers i know it's by um you know we're always looking for folks to take a walk with our members or serve meals um Mm -hmm. and so just seeing what's local to you and how you can get involved with them i think is an excellent excellent starting point um and i know you mentioned the by website but if folks are interested in volunteering specifically with youth and you know primarily on the website um you can go to our volunteer page or you can email our amazing volunteer manager um, emily kalbroski um, she's listed on the website um, and you can yeah sponsor meals work with our clothing closet where we give away a full um, outfit of clothing each day to any member who wants it um, or if you have like a special talent a special expertise you'd like to teach our Members, about you know, please reach out, and we'll see if we can find a spot mm-hmm. um, to collaborate. I,
0: I love that. You know what? I've never heard of two one one Is that is that strictly a homeless um, um, place, or is that what what would people find at that? I've I've never never heard of that before.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be able to share. So it's it's basically all of our social services in the city. Um, you can also just call 211.org, so if you if you or anybody you know is, you know, looking for shelter tonight, calling 211 is the first thing that we do as providers to see what's
0: available. That's really um, interesting.
1: Yeah, oh it's through it's, United it's Way? Place. They may Sunday. Do I know I United I initiative.
0: Yeah. I actually just clicked on that right now. So that's that's because you know, it's um, it's all over. So I think that that's really good. And, you know, I do, I've do. i been podcasting now. I'm, I'm, my anniversary is coming up really soon. In fact, I think, I think it's next month. March the 5th was my first um, blown, Born to Talk radio show on Blog Talk radio, March the 5th, 2018. I've been doing this for oh, a while. Wow. And I was yeah. in a studio in Los Angeles three years prior. So I find frankly it's not that i don't like having authors because i do because a lot of people have written some very inspiring work i had that experience just last week but with the dot orgs you know you can you guys all need help and you you need you need to be supported and, and that's why just hearing what you just said if it's new to me and it's something i wasn't familiar with maybe it would be the same for somebody else because let's face it you're not going to volunteer in venice if you don't live anywhere you don't even live in california but maybe there's mm-hmm. maybe you'll be inspired based on where you live to say you know what i have some extra time i'm retired now or i would like my son or my daughter or my husband to do this with me. Maybe we could do this as a family. We love to cook mm-hmm. or we love to garden or, you know, th- there's food pantries, what, what, whatever. You know, I just, I, that's what I think is the beauty about podcasting and especially um, promoting what what work you're doing. And I was just curious, do you have any, like, reading you would recommend for somebody Wanting to learn more about social work or homelessness services, would you? Rec- is there something you would recommend?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a lot. I think a really good starting point to just understand the the landscape would be homelessness is a housing problem. Um, I think it gives a really good understanding of how we got here, and I think how we got here is different for every city because there's you know so much of history of. You know, redlining, racial profiling, and just different neighborhoods evolving in different ways that does lead to people being in-house. But I think homelessness this is a housing problem is a really great starting point um, for L.A. specifically, the Skid Row History Museum, if you ever have a chance to go by their downtown yep, um, or at their website, it's so amazing what they do. <laughs>
0: um, it's by um, Union Mission, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I want to I yeah. say where it is, but... Um, I'm going to be wrong if I say where it is, but um, it's a beautiful, okay. uh, beautiful yes. little spot that you can walk into. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. deep, deep, right. deep, in the heart it's, of downtown.
0: Exactly. Well, and as we both have been saying, you know, this isn't this isn't just something that's affecting in the areas that you and I live in, but everywhere. And mm-hmm. um, you know, and and let's face it, are we not all attached to our cell phones? And I would imagine you might be unhoused, but you may likely still have a cell phone. How you are affording it, I don't know. But I suspect it's not uncommon to see unhoused youth with cell phones. But if Mm -hmm. they've been housed, I got the sense from what you said a little earlier, they can be employed, they can be in your housing, and they can be there for a couple of years to stabilize. I presume that that's what happens, right?
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: That's good. That, that's that's really that's really good to know. What, what do you what do you wish people understood about the unhoused community in Los Angeles that they may never never have thought of?
1: I think the biggest thing for me is is knowing that most people who are unhoused live within just a, a few blocks of where they became unhoused. So I think, you know, sometimes I think about, isn't that interesting? I I had always thought people came in, um, you know, for the weather, for the services, but when we really get into the numbers, it's, you know, it's people staying a couple blocks from the place they were last housed. And so I think that changes the way it feels for people to know that this is, you know, truly a community issue and that the folks that you're seeing on the street are genuinely your former neighbors. Um, and I think we're not quite as far um, from homelessness as we would like to believe we are or would like to be um, as folks living in housing. And I think most of us are just a couple of paychecks away from losing our homes. And hopefully we have some backups and some community to fall back on. But eventually, you know, people get tired, families get tired. Um, mm-hmm. And so really just connecting with the fact that it's, it's not the folks that are living on the streets or living in RVs are not different from the rest of us. Um, And so really taking that into account and understanding that it's not all mental health, it's not all substance abuse, although, you know, absolutely coping with living on the streets, you have, you know, people do use substances to cope or mental health does decline if you're sleeping outside every day. Um, But knowing that those aren't typically the core issues, but they often come after Because, I mean, even for myself, if I think about having to sleep on the street for even two nights, it's terrifying. Um, And I think that's true for most of us.
0: Sure. So voters have invested a lot of money into resolving homelessness in L.A., but the numbers increased this past year anyway. Can you help us understand why that might be?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important question. because, you know, really voters have committed a lot of a lot of money to resolving our homelessness crisis. Um, and I think the biggest thing is that it takes a long time to build housing in L.A. You know, it's really costly. Yeah. It's really time intensive. You have to know, you know, which levers to pull and, you know, who to invest time with. And so I know that the, the average build time in L.A. is four years. But if you think about all the additional steps that providers for housing have to go through you know often we aren't necessarily welcome in neighborhoods there's some negotiation with neighbors with communities um, with electeds. that adds on extra time and so even with that you know the homeless services community is housing people at higher rates than we've ever housed people but what we are seeing is that people are also falling out of housing at rates higher than ever so even though we are doing, like, the best work that we've ever done, our numbers don't reflect that because we still have people falling the housing as average income pulls so far away from what it actually takes to live in Los Angeles. And I think we all feel that as our rents increase, as our cost of living increases. Um, that's what's in the unhoused
0: community as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, you, know you think about, you no, know, they're probably not driving a car and no, mm-hmm. they may not, so if they're not driving a car well, then they don't have car insurance, okay, fine, but my guess is, if they had to have some level of expense that they don't want to give up, it's probably a cell phone in some way, and mm-hmm. you know what what you what you i i think what what's important is we want to make sure that these young people have some kind of skill or education that would allow them, maybe, maybe they actually really love gardening. And maybe they end up thinking, wow, you know, maybe I could get a job at a nursery. Maybe I could get a Mm -hmm. job somewhere else. Maybe I could get a job as a chef. Maybe I could make salads somewhere. You know, maybe I could do those kinds of things. And so I think that, I don't want to make this so bleak, and, and you're not. Don't misunderstand <laughs> me. You're not making this bleak. In fact, that, what I was going to say is what I hear is hope. And I know that you have a strategic plan, and I know that you are out to end youth ho- homelessness. People just need to visualize, just visit your website to see that. And perhaps someone that is local that would know something about spy might say, you know what? I love playing the guitar. Nothing would make me happier than to teach somebody else to do the same thing. I mean mm-hmm. that it's a win-win, correct? I mean it's an absolute yeah. win-win if you share something you love with somebody else, and now they love it too. I, I think mm-hmm. that that is that is so vital. Um, and and you know, I know you do street outreach, and I know that you do. Like you mentioned, case management, I think those things are all so very important and and could change somebody 's life forever if If someone is currently experiencing homelessness, who should they reach out to?
1: I think there's a few different avenues, um, and I, I love what you
0: were saying about um,
1: you know, finding a career path, because I think that's, that's a huge part of our case manager's work and our education and employment specialist work as well, is to see, you know, where is somebody? What are their interests? How do we build that? Like you said, do they need to finish their high school degree? Do we need to get them an internship? Um, and that path can look really different for different people. Um, but mm-hmm. to your, to your point about volunteering too, I think, you know, there's so much that our community offers and, and really spy was started by volunteers. I mean, started by people, mm-hmm. you know, handing out sandwiches on the boardwalk. And so there are these, like you said, mutually beneficial ways that people can contribute. Um, and so, you know, if somebody is unhoused, I think two one, one is a great starting point. You can figure out your local access center. And when we say access center, it's really a place where you can go and say, "Hey, here's my issue. Can you get me involved in services?" And they'll walk you through what might be available to you. Um, and so, different areas have different access centers. For um, for the west side, Safe Place Three, their spy at 340 Sunset Avenue um, is an mm-hmm. access center. So you can just drop by. We're open. Monday through Friday, um, typically 10 to four. Um, the earlier you get there, the better because um, then our case managers can kind of arrange their day around folks. Um, and then on <clears throat> Wednesdays, we're open from 9.30 to one, just a shorter day, so you can do professional development and team meetings and all of that. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you if you go to 211.org um, or just stop by SPY, I think that's a great place to start. Um, and I know you mentioned cell phones, there are programs where we can help folks get connected with cell phones if they don't have it, or there are phones to call around, Um, we have computers on site or people can always, you know, go to the library and use library computers um, if they didn't come through but we, you know, we, we try to make sure that whatever you would need to pursue housing, we make available to you, whether that's transportation or a cell phone or a computer. Um, and we really want to meet That's people
0: where they're at. Where they are, right? Yeah. If 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 they, if they are the age of someone in high school, and the high school is aware that something's not right with Joey here, and then they mm-hmm. found out that Joey's homeless, do they? Do you ever have any connections like with the local high schools to work with them as well?
1: We do. Primarily, high schools reach out to us for consultation. Um, So Uh if
0: you're ever working with an unhoused
1: student or just an unhoused person, you're always welcome to call spy and we can at least give you direction to where you need to go. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, our our policy is that there shouldn't be any wrong doors. You're trying to resolve homelessness. So we're going to try to get you where you need to go.
0: Um, Sure.
1: But I lost my train of thought. Entirely. That's
0: okay. That, we'll, we'll come back. Well, the, I was asking you, like, if the connection to the schools, if the schools yeah. ever work out with you. That that was kind of yeah. where I was going. Um, because and, if you mention yeah. you're yeah. talking about 12-year-olds, too, you know, because the family is unhoused and so the kid's not going to school, you know, mm-hmm. um, or perhaps they're not going to school. Maybe that's a presumption, um, you know. I just see that there's so many layers of of mm-hmm. services, and 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 you know I'm thinking about um, what if someone's afraid that they're going to be evicted or they're going to lose their housing? Um, what what should they do? Should, is I mean they might not be listening to this podcast, but maybe know maybe somebody knows somebody in this situation. So what would be the best place for them to to reach? what would they? What would, where would they start?
1: So I think there's, there's lots of right paths. There's, I think one thing that people should be really aware of is that a three-day notice um, or a ten-day notice to quit or pay from a landlord is not an eviction. Um, an eviction notice oh. is, is separate and works towards that. So your three-day notice and your ten-day notice will give your landlord a right to put an eviction forward, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to leave in three or ten days. So that's a really important starting point. Um, So Mm -hmm. if you are receiving an eviction notice, a three-day notice or a 10-day notice, I would immediately call legal aid or inner city law. Um, And those folks will help you understand your options. So they're really going to go through, you know, what does it say on your notice? Is there anything we can do from here? Because truthfully, Mm -hmm. evictions are costly for landlords as well. And so most of the time, not all of the time, they want to negotiate your exit with you rather than actually have to go through the eviction process and pay all those legal fees. And so it tends to be win-win if you can exit because what gets people into trouble in the long term is that eviction on their, on their rental history. It makes it really hard to re-rent.
0: Um, oh, sure. And so it,
1: it sticks people. So whatever is happening, we want to try to avoid an eviction on the record if possible. Sure.
0: Of course. Wow, that's some. You must you must have some success stories. I, I would. I'd like to think that you've been doing this for a while. Do you have a, a, a couple of? We have a little bit more time, and I. If you, I'd like to end this, you know, on an up note. Do you have some success stories mm-hmm. that you might like to share with us? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think there's so much um, that happens at by that I think really energizes all of us. I mean, even if that's like. On the day-to-day to see somebody, you know, feeling safe, getting a warm meal, getting support, you know, having a community to, like, laugh at your jokes feels like a huge success. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think one person that really stands out to me, her name is Pia, and she, you know, came through the Access Center uh, she ended up being one of our interns at, you know, Spy's Garden, and you know, really got to kind of tap into her passions um, there. Um, and she's now pursuing her bachelor's at UCLA, and she's housed with one mm. of our partner agencies. So I think, you know, she's a wonderful example of the impact these services can have. Um, and you know, a, a huge number of our staff, like I said, um, are folks with lived experience of homelessness or former Spy members, and so. You know, even as we see our staff thriving, I feel like that is a huge success. Um, and so I think just day-to-day, the minute somebody gets housed, you know, we want to post pictures to our teams, you know, of somebody with their keys, sure. of their new place. And we try to yes. celebrate every success, every job that's gotten, every, you know, every degree that somebody acquires or a certificate. Um, because these are huge, huge pieces of somebody's life. And so to be a part of their story is such a privilege. And I think our teams are really cognizant of that and feel
0: mm-hmm. so
1: connected with the work and so connected with the successes that they work
0: really hard with our members um, to achieve. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really, that, that's nice. I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking at your um, homepage right now and I'm looking at um, host home program. What is that all about?
1: Yay, hey, I'm so glad you brought up host homes. Um, so host homes is a really cool, um, innovative approach to housing folks in L.A. Um, so what we do is we recruit folks who maybe have an extra bedroom, uh, you know, maybe yes. they have a, a guest house. And are looking to support one of our youth for a few months. Um, so we go through a pretty intensive screening process, um, for our mm-hmm. youth to make sure that they're a good fit. And we try to make sure that the, the host, um, who's the person with the extra room or home, um, is really in line with the youth that we want to place there because it is such an intimate relationship to share your sure. property with somebody. Um, we do provide a stipend for our host, um, to offset any costs um, and to just, you know, show our appreciation for um, really working with some of our youth. Um, So we are always looking for people that are willing to take these in. And as that happens, you know, you have the support of our case managers, our staff here. So it's not like somebody moves into your home and you're just you know, you're just gonna live with what happens. Like,
0: if right, is right. we're
1: here to address them, to mediate, um, and to make sure it's a really healthy relationship, because um, I think that's a really big piece of our work is building mm-hmm. healthy relationships for youth who, you know, may or may not have had
0: those in the past. Right. That's that's really interesting. Um, I I hear the passion. How long have you How long have you been there with with Spy?
1: I've been at five for two years now.
0: Okay. Um, so it's still fairly you easy you've had kids. a... Okay. but you bring a you bring a a caseload, a suitcase full of experience <laughs> from every every place else that you've been. I'm just wondering, based on those past experiences and just the type of work that that you currently do, what do you what do you love most about what it is you do?
1: Oh, that's a wonderful question. I, I think I covered this a little bit in talking about you know what what our staff love, but I think being able to walk with people in their journey,
0: whatever that yes. is,
1: to you know bear witness to these stories, even when they're painful, but especially when they're beautiful. And over time, I think almost all of them do become beautiful. Um, is a real privilege, and so I, I love that. I also just really love people who are willing to do this work. So I, I feel mm-hmm. like it's just such a privilege to work with people day-to-day that are willing to do the hard things, say the hard things, um, and right. support people 40 hours a week. I mean, it's, it's a really incredible person, I think, who, who does this work, and I get to be around them all day long, which is amazing. And that is
0: amazing. So just on a personal level, before I, I let you escape, um when you're not working um you mentioned you had dogs and cats but um when you're when you're not working um what do you enjoy doing that that balances your life that I would imagine work wise is pretty demanding so how do you how do you balance that personal and professional life that I feel like is the question
1: of of my career and many of our careers, yes because um, <laughs> it is. It is so consumptive, and I think, you know, when you are really passionate about this work, it's really hard to look away, and I think we really have to train ourselves as providers to do that. Um, so, you know, for me, I know I've gone through my own periods of burnout where I had to step away from the work or, you know, kind of re retool or find a different direction, Um but what I've learned over time is it's kind of the day-to-day stuff that makes the biggest difference. I am mm-hmm. extremely connected with my friend group, um, my little friend family here in L.A. I think is my saving grace on a regular basis um, and, you know, help me remember that this isn't, this isn't all there is this is not to the world. Um, right. My husband and I, like, we fly kites on the weekends. It's been too cold and rainy recently, but... You know, right. the simple little things to really connect with people. Um, and, you know, I think for me, on just like a personal note, I I like take a bath every morning and read a book before mm-hmm. I dive into work and create space in my own brain. Um, so I'm not putting other things in there first. Place. Well,
0: you know, I I think – see, I think these things are – int- well, I'm interested in people, so that, that goes without saying – but I think it's interesting when you talk to somebody that has such a demanding schedule and 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 you're seeing some, obviously, some gains and some um, goals that have been reached and some success stories along the way. But you also see things, unfortunately, that might be a little bit different. And mm-hmm. so for me... So that you you mentioned burnout, so that you can avoid the burnout, you know like you like you just mentioned, being out in nature, taking a walk mm-hmm. I, for me uh, i I 've got that cuckoo uh, Google watch, and so <laughs> there isn 't a day that I haven 't closed my rings, to, regardless of the weather, because I know mm-hmm. that it 's really important to me, so if it 's raining i've got to tell you i 'm walking inside the mall, not my favorite place to to walk for an hour. But I do it because I'm determined and I'm deliberate mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. I want but but I want the balance. I don't want to just only say, "Well, I only walk. no, I do a lot of other things that I also enjoy doing because I've never met a stranger, Liz, I've never met a stranger, <laughs> and the to- and when you're out and about when I'm out and about, let's just put it that way, and somebody's wearing a sports cap or something like that, and I'm going, "Oh, oh, I'm that fan." or oh oh, oh you, you did you go to university of arizona oh my son works at university of arizona you know it doesn't take much for me to strike up a conversation with somebody and i think that's the human side of life and i'm mm-hmm. i'm a strong believer that when you're walking which i do every day and i'm approaching somebody that's walking towards me i do not look away i do not mm-hmm. take my gaze and go down I do not pretend like you're not approaching me. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. not everybody is like that, and I I think that is unfortunate because I think we as humans, the least you can do is smile. You don't have to answer a million questions for me. I get (laughs) it. I can tell. It's like I just came into the market to buy some carrots. Leave me alone. I get that. (laughs) I understand that. I do. But as humans, and especially living in the times that we're living, and we don't know what somebody else is going through, to just smile and nod your head, it's just a a way of acknowledging people. And I wish more people did that, because you don't know what somebody else might be dealing with. Maybe it's not them personally. Maybe it's their loved one. Maybe it's their grandson. Maybe it's whomever. But I just think that what you guys are doing at SPY to make those differences and and you're you're part of a, an exceptional team i know you don't do it alone i just mm-hmm. i want to thank you for what it is that you do that is making a difference in the lives of so many look at how many have come back to assist and volunteer pretty mm-hmm. remarkable isn't it
1: it truly truly is and, and I, yes. I really appreciate what, what you're saying about the team because I, I think that's what makes such a huge difference in our work is how much they care. Um, and I think, you know, to your point about smiling, these are the people that smile back um, and that really acknowledge the humanity of everybody that they encounter.
0: That's right. And, and I, I, I so think, you know, we see so many things on the news that we don't want to see or don't want to know about or depress us or whatever but i wish that there was more of this that just make it a just make it simple just when you approach mm-hmm. somebody you don't have to ask them what they had for dinner you can just smile you know you can yeah. just smile or you can say good morning which is often what i do cuz i walk in the morning or as mm-hmm. you're walking by somebody have a nice day you know whatever that might be it has to be genuine if you're being phony, mm-hmm. don't don't bother. But if you're being genuine <laughs> about it, then you know. Then I think you don't know how that have a nice day might affect that person. That could mm-hmm. you're maybe the first person that said anything nice to them the whole day. So yeah, you, you just there's you don't know. my have been
1: days where that is like yeah, where just the hello has made my day, and I I think
0: uh-huh, it's me too. It's just
1: like a little gift you give to people.
0: It is, and it gets unwrapped, and it's like, thank you. You really have no Mm -hmm. idea. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for spending this hour with me and sharing what you've done, and I'm going to keep a positive thought about the technology that I was dealing with earlier today (laughs) when I was doing my Facebook Live on my cell phone, and just take a deep breath, trust the process, and slow down. That's what I've been told to do. So that is how I will spend the rest of this afternoon. So thanks again, Liz, for, for being part of this and all the wonderful work that you guys are doing. It It's really been a pleasure having you as a guest on my show today. It's
1: been wonderful chatting with you, and I really appreciate um, all of your work,
0: so thank you. You're welcome. All right, everybody. It's the end of February. We march into March next week, so I'll be here too. Have a great rest of the day, everybody. Bye for now. Okay, you took everything out of the room, and with the skills of an artist, you fixed the blemishes on the walls. And with laser focus, you applied painter's tape. After laying down the drop cloth, you put on a coat of primer before the paint. You're not a rookie. Then, with surgeon-like precision, you removed the tape, and yes, those paint lines were crisp and glorious. Now the easy part, recycling that leftover paint. But you knew that. Visit paintcare.org to find your local drop-off location. Now enjoy that room. PICASSO It's just better, better
1: in the Bahamas Discover the heart of Bahamian culture where lively rhythms, irresistible flavors, and spirited history. Welcome one and all. Experience the true essence of island life at Nassau and Paradise Island, The Bahamas. With convenient daily nonstop flights from major US cities, your island getaway is
0: closer than you think. Hey.